A Manhattan jury has officially found President Trump guilty of sexual assault, sort of. It's a little bit confusing because the jury's verdict contradicts itself and because the plaintiff's claims have changed quite a lot over the four years since she made the allegation about the incident which she says occurred 27 or 28 years ago. I say 27 or 28 because she can't quite remember which year the alleged rape occurred. According to E. Jean Carroll, sometime in the mid-90s, Donald Trump raped her in a dressing room of the luxury department store Bergdorf Goodman, a scenario that coincidentally was the plot of an episode of Law & Order SVU seven years before Carroll first published her allegation. I will spare you the graphic wording, but suffice it to say, according to that allegation, Donald Trump did not merely grope or molest her in some way, but perpetrated a full-on rape. Shortly after making the accusation, though, during an appearance on Anderson Cooper, E. Jean Carroll seemed to walk back her claim, simultaneously claiming that Trump did not rape her and also that rape is sexy. You don't feel like a victim. I was not thrown on the ground and ravished, which the word rape carries so many sexual connotations. This was not, this was not sexual. It just, it, it hurt. It just, what, it just, you know. Well, I think most people think of rape as a, I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not. I think most people think of rape as being sexy. Mm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm. We're just going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. (laughs) Fascinating. But now, in a civil suit that was allowed long after the expiration of the statute of limitations because of a 2022 law passed in New York, Carol returned to alleging rape. Trump, for his part since day one, has maintained that the incident never happened, and he refused to appear or present any evidence during the trial. So yesterday, the jury seemed to agree with Trump. The jury did not find Trump liable on the charge of rape, which is what Carol alleged, but did find him liable on a lesser charge of sexual assault and ordered him to pay millions of dollars in damages. In other words, the jury concluded that Trump's accuser lied about his raping her, but did not lie about his sexually assaulting her sometime around 1996 or maybe 1995. Who knows? And anyway, he owes her five million bucks for saying he didn't rape her as the jury concluded fascinating. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. This episode is brought to you by my good friends over at Good Ranchers. Get great meat at a secure price and an extra $30 off with my code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code Knowles today. Coming up, the voice of his or her, now it's his generation, Dylan Mulvaney goes on the attack about my comments, about, about my alleged call to eradicate and exterminate and commit genocide on people, which the mainstream media talked about and the podcast host that Dylan Mulvaney was being interviewed by were talking about. So we will get into Dylan Mulvaney's attacks on me for me, attacking the ideology of transgenderism for, I don't know, we'll go three layers deeper on inception. First, though, really big news in the media, and that would be Tucker Carlson 
is back. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. You often hear people say the news is full of lies, but most of the time that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is in fact true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have. But that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. Amazingly, as of tonight, there aren't many platforms left that allow free speech. The last big one remaining in the world, the only one, is Twitter, where we are now. Starting soon, we'll be bringing a new version of the show we've been doing for the last six and a half years to Twitter. We bring some other things too, which we'll tell you about. But for now, we're just grateful to be here. Free speech is the main right that you have. Without it, you have no others. See you soon. So the context here is not just that, okay, Tucker is going to start streaming on Twitter. The context is that Tucker is going to break his contract with Fox News. Fox took him off the air. Fox didn't exactly fire him. He's still being paid millions and millions and millions of dollars. Reports are that he is still owed out about $26 million on his Fox contract, which he's willing to break to go on and bring you the news and the reports that you're not seeing on other shows on the one platform that will allow you to do it. That would be Twitter. Talked yesterday about the, the plan of the liberal establishment to shut this guy up. It's not just Fox News. It's the advertisers. It's all of these colluding forces who really want to shut Tucker up because Tucker gave a different perspective, not just different from the left, but different from many people on the right. That's why the, the libs focused on him so much. So the question we asked yesterday was, does this mean Tucker is just going to be silenced through 2024? And I, I don't know, maybe he listened to the show because he gave the answer like five or six hours later. He said, we will not be silenced. We're coming back. We're going to be here on Twitter. This is big news, not just, not just because Tucker's voice is extraordinarily important in public discourse, but it's, it's important because this could end cable news. I don't think that's hyperbolic at all. Tucker was the biggest name in cable news, not just on Fox, but all of cable news, not just now, but ever. He's the most popular cable news host ever in the history of the medium. So if Tucker switches his platform, he could bring a huge audience. Now, that in itself wouldn't necessarily doom the medium of Fox News, except for this. Tucker's audience is largely boomers. The cable news audience is largely boomers. And the reason that cable news still exists today is because boomers don't want to turn the channel and they don't want to have to pull up their Roku or their Apple TV or their computer or their phone or their iPad or any, anything like that. No knock on boomers. I know there are a lot of technologically advanced boomers. I'm a Luddite millennial, so I'm really not casting any stones, but it is just a fact. The reason that cable news still exists is because boomers, almost uniquely at this point, pay for their cable subscription. They leave the TV on during the day. So the nine o'clock hour picks up all the people from the eight o'clock hour who didn't want to click the button on the remote. And the 10 o'clock hour picks up the people from the nine o'clock hour. So if Tucker can convince his largely boomer audience to switch over to Twitter, Tucker's millennial and Zoomer audience was already watching his clips on Twitter primarily. If he can get the boomers to switch over there, that could spell the end of cable news. The, the day after Tucker's firing was announced, or I guess the very same day because it was on a Monday, 
the ratings in that hour were chopped in half. And the ratings for the other primetime shows on Fox were chopped down in a quarter. If Tucker can actually just remove that audience permanently, that could spell the end of cable news, certainly the end of the dominance of cable news. Media don't last forever. Media forms have eras, okay? And cable news has has been a dominant form for about 30 years now. Doesn't mean it'll completely go away. Some people still watch it, but it might go the way of radio. Might go the way of network TV. It might go the way, it might just, we just might move on now. And Tucker could, if, if his new show works, we have every reason to think it would. That could be a huge shift, not just in the politics of the country, but even in the way that that politics is undertaken and information is consumed and transmitted. Speaking of journalism, we have a, a looming indictment potentially of Hunter Biden. I haven't covered it very much because I assume that the liberal establishment is going to figure out some way to let this guy off the hook. It's the president's son. He's been engaging in very clear public corruption for a very long time. They haven't done anything about it. Sometimes I fear that they they try to make Hunter Biden a distraction so they don't need to deal with serious issues like the invasion on our southern border right now or the looming prospect of World War III, which neither party seems to be doing very much about, certainly not the Democrats. So I haven't focused on it too much, but we might get an indictment of Hunter Biden. And so preemptively, the White House has banned the New York Post from attending President Biden's only daytime public event on Monday as the federal prosecutors near a decision on charging Hunter for tax fraud and other crimes. Why did they do this? Because the New York Post broke the Hunter Biden laptop story. The liberal establishment went into overdrive to shut down that story, including the government. The government pressured the big tech companies that control the flow of information around the public square, said, don't let this thing go out. Oh, it's Russian disinformation, blah, blah, blah. Joe Biden himself called the New York Post story Russian disinformation. And now the New York Post is totally vindicated. We know it wasn't disinformation. We know it was just true information. So Joe Biden, who can't answer a question even from a friendly reporter, doesn't want to get a hostile question from the New York Post, so they ban the Post from the press conference. What needs to happen now is if Hunter Biden actually is indicted, we need the New York Post reporters, maybe the editor of the Post, to show up to whatever news conference that is, like Andrew Breitbart at the admission of guilt by Representative Anthony Weiner. A lot of people may have forgotten this incident. Anthony Weiner texted out a picture of his, uh, well, you know, you get it from the name. So he tweeted that that out publicly. He intended to to DM it privately to someone on Twitter. Uh, Breitbart caught this. He said, hey, look, Weiner's caught in this huge scandal. And Everyone said, oh, it's disinformation. It was a hacking. How dare Breitbart is terrible. It's awful. And then coincidentally, Breitbart happened to be in New York when Anthony Weiner was holding his press conference to say, yeah, okay, I did it. Sorry. Whoopsie daisy. And then Breitbart just took the stage and he spiked that football and he said, I was right. And you guys are all completely corrupt. And I'm the only journalist in this room. That's what the New York Post has to do on the Hunter Biden laptop story. The Hunter Biden laptop story suppression may have thrown the 2020 election to Joe Biden made it much, much easier for Joe Biden to claim victory. There were, after that election, 12% of Biden voters, according to one poll, said they would not have voted for Biden had they known about the story. So this was a concerted effort to rig the election for Joe Biden. It may have succeeded. We need the Post to be doing the silliest end time dance, end zone dance. (laughs) We're living in the end times, perhaps, but they need to do the end zone dance that you have ever seen. Now, speaking of the end times, speaking of our ultimate fate, When was the last time you prayed? 
Maybe you got to check out Hello. Right now, head on over to Hallow.com slash Knowles. Building a habit of prayer can help you cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Focusing on what you are thankful for can increase positive emotions and improve overall well-being. Hallow is the number one Christian prayer app in the U.S. It's helped countless people maintain a daily prayer routine, and it can help you too. Download the app for free at Hallow.com slash Knowles. You can set prayer reminders and track your progress along the way. Not sure where to start? Check out Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a Year, available on the Hallow app for brief daily readings and reflections, or pray alongside Mark Wahlberg, Jim Caviezel, and even some world-class athletes. Using Hallow to connect with others who share your beliefs and values can provide a sense of belonging, support, and foster a sense of community. With Hallow, you can customize a personal prayer plan that works for you. Listen wherever you are with downloadable offline sessions. Download Hallow at hallow.com slash Knowles, Canada, W-L-A-S. Get an exclusive three months for free. That is three months absolutely free at hallow.com slash Knowles. Speaking of irresponsible fathers like Hunter Biden, Nick Cannon of, what does he have now? 10 children, 12 children, something like that. Uh, Nick Cannon has not just all of these children, which would be a wonderful thing if it were with the same woman, but has all of these children with lots and lots of different women. And he's proud of that fact. Uh, He's pushing back and he's saying, I'm not a deadbeat dad. And I can see how Nick Cannon could convince himself of this argument. But it's important, I think, to go through each of these points that he makes because it shows you so many errors at the heart of our culture. Nick Cannon says, I hear all the time you can't be present for all those children. So therefore, I get this deadbeat dad title. Right now, the narrative is he has a bunch of kids, but I'm really at a place now where I don't care what people know. I'd rather just operate. It's more about really being a good person instead of telling people you're a good person. So he says, I don't care what other people are saying. Fine attitude to have. Sometimes the mob is often wrong and the prince of this world is the devil. And so, yeah, the people can be wrong a lot of the time. But if everybody is calling you a deadbeat dad, that, that ought to be a cause through your humility to look at yourself and say, huh, am I doing something that I shouldn't really be doing here? Why are people calling me that? And he says, it's ridiculous that people are calling me that because I make a lot of money. He says, when you think about my lifestyle, I have to generate at least $100 million a year. Everybody thinks Ryan Seacrest has tons of money. I do everything that he does times 10. Well, not times 10, times three, because he does a lot. <laughs> so he's got a little humility there. He says, okay, I do, I do more than Seacrest, but not, you know, he, he, he works a lot too. So he's saying, look, I need to make a lot of money and I make a hundred million bucks a year. So I am not a deadbeat dad. That would be true if life were only about money. But when you think back to your childhood, do you think, man, I had such a great childhood because my father's salary was $105,000 a year. $105,722 a year and 35 cents. That's what he brought home, and that is why my childhood was good. If he had only made $62,000 a year, and then it would have been bad. But no, of course, your father could make 25, 30 grand a year. If he's a good dad and he's home and he's fulfilling his responsibilities, that he could be a much better father than a father who makes 300 grand a year. Because you know that the things you remember about your father are when he was around, when he was just there for you. Those quiet moments, not the planned moments, not the big, big extravagant moments, but just those little quiet moments when dad is just there and you can rely on him as a rock solid guy. That's what matters. And Nick Cannon 
No, he can make a billion dollars a year, but he can't divide himself. He can't bilocate. I don't think he's, he's uh, uh, demonstrated that spiritual gift. And so he can't be in five, six, seven different houses at the same time. He, he then goes on, he says, it's not about what I do for you or what I say to you. It's about how you feel when I'm with you. If you feel loved when you see your dad, that's what's going to resonate. No, it's seeing your dad is going to resonate. <laughs> not just how you feel on the one day out of 12 that you get to see your dad. It's seeing your dad regularly, every day. That's what's going to resonate. We, we think in, in our modern age, that we can just compartmentalize everything and we can schedule everything. There's a joke on the most recent season of Succession where uh, the, the daughter character, Siobhan, uh, is grieving something and she actually has her assistant schedule her 20 minutes a day so that she can go into a conference room and cry. And one of the responses to this is, you're scheduling your grief? What? Like, how, what a psycho are you that you're scheduling your grief? But that's what we do in this modern world where we just treat ourselves like machines. But that's not what matters about growing up. There was, I was just speaking to a friend of mine about this. He said, a child's education is completed by around age three. Yeah, sure. He'll start school at age five and he'll go to school through 18 or 22 or 26. But his education, kind of getting a formation of what the world is about, what his place is in it. That's going to that's gonna be over by the time he's about three, and he's going to get it from looking at the smile on mommy's face, the way daddy behaves, the way they talk to each other, the way that family life is constructed. Nick Cannon won't give that to his kids. And finally, he says, a lot of times it's whichever of them has called me that day, whichever of the baby mamas have called him that day, that's where I'm going to go sleep. I'm such a creature of habit. I like who like me. I like who like me, but it's not about you, and it's not about being liked. That's not what being a man is. That's not what being a husband is. That's not what being a father is. Being a husband and a father and a man is about doing your duty, whether you are thanked for it or not, whether everyone around you is a complete ingrate. It doesn't matter. You are still responsible to do your duty and to show up and to be there, and not just to create a competition among the, the baby mamas, or baby's mama, is it like attorneys general? And, and the children to say, oh, if only I had flattered my father a little bit more, maybe he would have loved me so, if only, if only. It's not Nick Cannon who's alone in this. The, all of these errors are errors that are endemic, I think, to modern life, but they are wrong. Speaking of kids, there's an Oscar winner. I don't know who this person is. Her name is Marcia Gay Harden. Oh, wow. All nature is but art unknown to thee. Uh, she's the star of Pollock, which I guess is not some Oscar movie or something. I don't know. I don't really pay attention to the, the big Hollywood culture these days. But Marsha Gay Harden has come out to reveal that her three kids, all three of her kids, are queer. She says, oh, and she's got, you know, multiple fathers and all that. Uh, she says at, a, at an event, drag isn't dangerous a digital fundraiser, she says, what drives me is because it's right. And what's happening right now is wrong. What drives me is my children are all queer. My eldest is non-binary. My son is gay. My youngest is fluid. And, they, and you know, they're my kids. They teach me every day. What are the odds? And that's so strange. What are the odds? Because We've been told that being gay or trans or whatever, all the other, the non-binary or whatever, that's innate. 
You're born that way. That's your orientation. That's who you really are. It's not that just that you become that or you develop into that. You're, you're born that way. And that this is very, very rare. We're talking about a very small number of people. And why are you damn conservatives? Why are you so focused on this small, vulnerable, oppressed group? What are the odds that all three of her children would have this extraordinarily rare condition? What are the odds? Almost as if it is largely a social phenomenon, largely a social contagion. Almost what? Hmm. Unless Alex Jones is right and there's just something in the water that's true. Maybe, maybe that's true. It was true for the frogs. But it would seem to me too much of a coincidence. So then if, if it is the case that uh, parents and culture and community and ideology and religion and all this has some role in shaping kids, do we want to order all those things to encourage people to pretend that there's no such thing as men and women and they're non-binary pansexual octopuses? Or do we want to encourage them to view themselves more closely in line with reality? What kind of what is it? We have a self-government for now. What kind of community do you want? You know what I want? I want a community that's full of red-blooded Americans, rich in iron with very full bellies, that's why I turned to Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com, promo code Knowles. I simply adore Good Ranchers. The people are terrific. The whole company is great, and the meat is the best on the market. Summer is just around the corner, which means grilling season has arrived. Like most Americans, you're probably not wild about spending half your annual salary buying meat at the grocery store right now especially considering that 85% of it comes from overseas. Well, I've got good news. When you subscribe to Good Ranchers, you're not only going to get high-quality, amazing meat at an excellent price, you will also get meat that comes from American farms and ranches. Inflation is on the rise. Good Ranchers is locking in your price for two years. So it just won't go up, even as inflation goes crazy. Imagine if you could have locked in your price two years ago. You would have saved hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You need to change the way you buy meat. Now is the perfect time of year to do so. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for $30 off any box. With Good Ranchers, you rest easy knowing that you're feeding your family with 100% American locally sourced meat delivered straight to your door. Promo code Knowles at GoodRanchers.com. You get 30 bucks off your order. I love these guys. I eat Good Ranchers. If not for the majority of my meals at this point, for at least a strong plurality. <laughs> I eat it all the time. It's so good. GoodRanchers.com. Promo code Knowles. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. If you, along with tens of millions of people, watch Netflix's hit show, Making a Murderer, then you are going to love Daily Wire Plus's new exclusive 10-part series with Candace Owens, Convicting a Murderer, coming this summer. Whether it's exposing Black Lives Matter or certain fallacies in the healthcare industry regarding COVID, Candace is unafraid to challenge the narrative. She will find the truth wherever it leads. When Candace found out that key facts may have been omitted in Netflix's series, she set out to uncover the truth behind the notorious Stephen Avery case. And the end result, which is coming soon, is a new series called Convicting a Murderer. You will not want to miss it. Right now, there has never been a better time to become a Daily Wire Plus member. Sign up now for Convicting a Murderer. You will receive an early bird discount of 35% off your Daily Wire Plus membership. Don't wait until the series comes out this summer because the deal will not last long. You will also get all of the other premium content from Daily Wire Plus, including 
Greatest Lie Ever Sold, What is a Woman? Dr. Jordan B. Peterson's series on the book of Exodus. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member and see the truth when it finally comes out. So are we going to take action against all of these pathologies that seem to be affecting kids? In Texas, they are doing that. The Texas Attorney General is now investigating a pediatric trans center after video shows these quacks and ghouls transing an eight-year-old. The video is from Project Veritas. Um, we do have patients who are as, starting as young as uh, eight, nine. We have a list of gender-affirming therapists that we yeah. can provide to. They said it was transition or suicide. Like, I was given no choice. I was told you will kill yourself if you don't go through with these treatments. It's very much pro-hormone, pro-changes. If you don't do this, your child will kill themselves. That is the most common theme. You don't think anybody can do that for a 10-year-old? So that's not an adolescent clinic. They started age 10. She did say this about like surgery. The way to go at this age, age 10, would be something like a puberty blocker. When you then get to age 14 uh, is when I'll consider some, you know, cross-gender hormones. 14 is a reasonable age. Most, most kids are mature enough to make a relatively informed uh, decision. 14, that's old enough to make a relatively informed decision. I mean, look, we can talk about it at age 10. We can talk about it at age eight. That's probably fine too. But at the very least, yeah, 14. That's the age of consent, right? Is 14? Don't think so. Don't think eighth graders and ninth graders have reached the age where they can make relatively informed decisions about sterilizing themselves and chopping up their bodies. So obviously, I'm, I'm glad the Texas Attorney General is investigating this. Texas needs to go much, much further. Texas needs to investigate these people, prosecute these people if it's possible under the law. If not, change the law such that people who do this in the future will be prosecuted. And then Texas has to go further. Texas has to. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Eradicate transgenderism from public life entirely, the whole preposterous ideology at every level for the good of society and especially for the good of the poor people who have fallen prey to this confusion. As long as society tolerates this quackery at any level, they will always do this. They will always get to the point where they're going to start doing it to the 16-year-olds and maybe 15 and maybe 14 and maybe 10 and you know what, maybe eight. That will always happen because that will be the logical conclusion of the idea that you really can be born in the wrong body. Watching those videos, you see that doctor sitting there. He's in front of a big bookshelf with all sorts of clinical books, and he's there with absolutely no affect, just total clinical demeanor. And he says, yeah, I'll start talking about cross-sex hormones at, at about 10. He'll move on, start chopping people up, you know, 14, 15, 16. Yeah, Yeah, 14-year-olds, they can totally make their own decisions. That's fine. We're going to look at this someday with horror. Many of us are already looking at that with horror, but someday we will be looking, more people will be looking at that with horror. As long as we tolerate this, they're always going to do this. And so what what we need to do also is, even for the people who have not been totally convinced, who think, okay, yeah, a man can't really be a woman, but I have no, I have no problem 
If a 30-year-old wants to chop himself up and mutilate himself and really damage himself and put himself at either the same or greater risk of anxiety, say, or suicidality, I have no problem. Laissez-faire. Laissez-les-bon-temps-brûlés. You know, I have no problem with that at all. I think that's a terribly uncharitable, un, uncompassionate, cruel view to have of your fellow man. But okay, you want to say, who cares? Not my problem. Let the, let the wackos cr- chop themselves up. All right, if that's your view, but you still say they, they shouldn't do it to children, the reason then I think that we would say you have to ban it for everybody is in a normal society, you've got to set the guardrails such that you've got a little bit of ideological breathing room. Okay, it's like in any negotiation. You don't want to set your position in a negotiation exactly at the place that is your bare minimum. You want to give yourself a little bit of breathing room. And so even if, and this is not my position, I am of the position that it is just totally wrong and we should ban it for everybody to help them and to help society. But even if it's your position that some people should be allowed to chop themselves up and pretend to be a lady and go into the women's bathroom, at the very least, I think you have to see the prudential argument that if we grant that, as we have in recent years, as in 2015, we started to grant that premise in public life very, very quickly, it's going to make it all the way down to the kids. So if you want to protect the kids from this nonsense, you actually do have to ban it for everybody. This is a winning issue. The vast majority of people agree with us. Pure research shows it. 60% of Americans think your gender comes from your biological sex. The number should be higher, of course, but that's still a clear majority of Americans. The numbers are going in the right direction. That's up from 56% in 2021 and 54% in 2017. So this is a winning issue. Glenn Youngkin won on this issue in Virginia. Ron DeSantis won on this issue in Florida. It's a big winner, okay? Obviously, Ken Paxton, AG in Texas, is is running on this issue, and he thinks it's going to play well for the people of Texas and for his future political career. So what are the, the national Republicans running on? The NRCC right now, is running ads in potential swing districts on spending. Democrats maxed out our nation's credit card with reckless spending, jacking up inflation to historic highs. Now they refuse to solve the spending crisis they created, voting against a common sense plan to tackle the government spending problem, cut red tape, and curb our dependence on China. Our economy hangs in the balance. Seven million people could lose their jobs. Extreme Democrats are addicted to spending your money, and you are paying the price. National Republican Congressional Committee is responsible for the content of this advertising. Does this work on anybody anymore? I'm, I'm not knocking the ad or I'm not knocking talking about spending. Okay, maybe in these swing districts right now during the debt limit fight, maybe it plays to, to run these TV ads. I, I'm, I'm not saying don't run the ad. I'm not saying you should only run on the social issues. But does this work? This doesn't work on me. It's, it feels very 90s. Feels, did you know in a world where Nancy Pelosi, she's spending your money. That's why we need to cut taxes. Uh, it, to me, it just, it just rings sort of hollow, especially because the Democrats have been not quite as responsible for the spending problem as Democrats, but they've been, they've been in large part responsible for it too. And by the way, our debt to GDP at this point is what's over 100%, isn't it? Thereabouts. So <laughs> I think we're kind of 
past the point where some marginal reduction in spending is going to really affect the federal budget at all, we're also at the point where neither party is going to talk about reforming entitlements. So, that, you know, that's, I, I just think that's kind of out the window. So why are we talking? We've got 10,000 people pouring across our southern border right now. We're in the brink of World War III and we're chopping kids' genitals off. Do, do, do people really care about crazy AOC is spending your money? <laughs> I, don't, I just don't think it, no one is, no one cares. People don't even think that money has meaning anymore. <laughs> We've got record high inflation this year. It's just, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I wish we could have sound money. I wish we could have a reliable, stable economy. I wish we could get spending under control. But that, it just seems that is so far gone. And that has been advanced by both parties. That if you, if you want to stir people's hearts, if you want to draw a distinction between the two parties, I think you've got to speak a little, a little more bluntly. You've got, to, you've got to appeal to the common good. Even if you're talking strictly about economic matters, you've got to do so in a way that makes moral arguments. The, the left does this all the time. When the left talks about taxes or the environment or spending or any of the rest of it, they're always couching it in moral arguments. And those moral arguments resonate for people and they work. Whereas the Republicans tend to couch it as, do you want to give your money to Nancy Pelosi? No, you should go buy a Corvette. You, you, you. Money, money, money. And it, that's that's not going to resonate. Even if you I don't want to give a dollar to Nancy Pelosi. But I, I want to feel as though the, the reason that I want to do that is, is about more than merely selfishness. Speaking of national problems now, uh, the invasion that was scheduled for uh, tomorrow at the expiration of Title 42, which helped to stem the tide a little bit of illegal immigration. Uh, that, in, that invasion has already begun, as we're seeing from people down there by the border. Yeah, we got uh, some incredible footage here, guys. Downtown El Paso, a week before, Title 42 is lifted and the, the surge is already here. It's been here for the last two years. And what you see behind me is a truck. It looks like, uh, I, don't know, I don't know who the sponsor is, Red Cross or somebody to feed uh, these individuals who are out here. It's hot. Uh, they're thirsty. They're hungry. But this is what this is the what the Biden administration has done in Mallorcas. This is the inhumane conditions that they, they want to put people in. This is not America. This is this is my hometown. This is El Paso, Texas. This is where I was born and raised, and I don't recognize my own country and my own city. This is this is insane. This to me resonates a lot more than crazy Nancy Pelosi spending all your money. Seeing a guy who says, "I was born here. I was raised here. This is unrecognizable. This does not seem like my country." It especially resonates because the guy is obviously of Hispanic descent. So the, the Democrats can't even say, well, this is just because you hate brown people or something like that. He's just saying, no, I'm a brown guy. <laughs> I'm a brown guy, and I don't like it when people are showing up across the border, piled up in the back of a truck, sneaking across into our country pretty soon, according to U.S. officials, to the tune of 10,000 plus people per day. That's unrecognizable. That's not America. Those are issues that are really important. Back in 2012, 2011, there was a push on the right for a social truce. And the argument was that we've got a new red menace, and the red menace is not the red army this time, it's the red menace of our debt and our deficit that is threatening our economy and our sovereignty. 
And so we've got to push some of the social issues aside. The left wing push to redefine marriage. The left wing push to advance abortion. The, all those things we got to put, have a truce, try to get the physical problem under control. I understand the arguments for that at the time, but they didn't resonate. We, we moved on past that. Barack Obama got reelected. And now I, think, now I think you've almost got to flip it. You've got to say, no, it's not the case that uh, the, a stable economy is going to afford you the ability to talk about social issues. It's kind of the opposite. If you do not have a stable society, you know, the social issues, if you do not have a society that respects life, that respects borders, that respects the rule of law, that respects letting kids be kids and not scandalizing them and shoving porn in their faces and jiggling drag queens and chopping their genitals off. If you have a country that engages in proper diplomacy around the world and doesn't put us to the brink of World War III, then and only then can you talk about trimming spending a little bit, perhaps even raising taxes in certain sectors. Not that I would encourage that, but you could, you could have a conversation about the nuts and bolts of, of market efficiency. But as long as you've got an open border and you've got hordes of people pouring in and you've got a bureaucracy that's violating the law and you've got just chaos, you're not going to be able to do that. So that's, that's why we need to be able to talk to one another again. When you want to talk to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. You remember the last time you got a free phone? What happened? You started out feeling great, and then came the hefty activation fees and the four-line requirements and, of course, the binding contract. Pure Talk is giving you a free 5G Samsung Galaxy phone without the feeling that you've been duped. When you switch to Pure Talk's unlimited talk and text data plan that comes with a mobile hotspot, you will get a 5G Samsung Galaxy for free That is right. Unlimited everything at a fraction of the price of Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile. Here's another thing. You will be on America's most dependable 5G network. Not just a similar network. You will be on that network. How do I know that? I'm a customer of Pure Talk. So make the switch. Be like me. Use Pure Talk, the cell phone wireless company I am proud to stand behind because they are proud to stand behind our mission at The Daily Wire. Pure Talk's U.S. customer service team helped me to make the switch in as little as 10 minutes I was even able, able to keep my own phone number. Just go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for your free Samsung Galaxy when you sign up for unlimited talk text and unlimited data. puretalk.com slash Knowles, puretalk, wireless for Americans by Americans. My favorite comment yesterday is from Buddy Trevino, who says, America is a teenager going through its screw you dad phase at the moment. Hopefully there is a strong enough foundation for it to come back around. The problem is that libs are always in the screw you dad phase. A friend of mine said this to me with slightly more colorful language 10 years ago, just about. He said, it was the best description I've ever heard of liberalism, that liberalism comes down to, screw you dad. And so if those people are in charge, then America is perpetually going to be in the screw you dad phase. Because most teenagers come out of that. And by their early 20s, they kind of shape up and they, they're normal again. Some people never come out of that. And they're the ones who get involved in drugs and weird sex stuff and don't have decent careers and don't settle down with a family and end up in prison or worse. And probably we all know people personally to whom that has happened. And now we know a country to whom that could happen if, if these people continue to run it. Okay, 
Now on to an important story. Forget about the prosecutions of top political figures and forget about 2024 and the invasion and all the rest. Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney was just on a podcast with someone named Skylar Baylor. Skylar Baylor is a woman who has pumped herself with all sorts of hormones and chopped off all sorts of body parts. And so she, she now looks pretty convincingly like a man. She's, she's smaller. If she's standing up, you can, you can tell more easily that she's not a man. But uh, she has grown out some facial hair and she hosts a show and she was hosting Dylan Mulvaney. And would you know it, these two people, uh, it's, un- it's unbelievable to think about. They attacked and criticized your favorite podcast host. What are the odds? Transphobia that we're seeing in this country has shifted, in my opinion, my ex- you know experience from being cloaked in protect women, protect mm-hmm. children, whatever, to now just being outright transphobia. Right? There's, there's like there's no questioning the transphobia. It's the wild now. West. It's it is, and you know we had Michael Knowles explicitly say transgenderism, quote unquote, transgenderism needs to be eradicated from all public life, and and you know went on this whole tirade about that, supposedly claiming he didn't mean trans people, but we how do you eradicate mm. transness without eradicating us? So we're, we're having actual calls for our, our eradication. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pause there. I, I love how it, this lady at, at least had the decency and the common sense to not libel me or slander me or, or uh, rewrite what I said. But she says, quote unquote, transgenderism, supposedly not to eradicate us. But how on earth could you eradicate an ideology without eradicating the people? I've said it before, but I'll say it again. When we call to eradicate communism, we're not saying we want to slaughter all the communists. When the libs call to eradicate capitalism, they probably are calling to eradicate all the capitalists, but they wouldn't necessarily be doing so. When we call to eradicate poverty or cancer, we're not calling to eradicate poor people and cancer patients. Ideas can be separable from individuals. The the problem with transgenderism is the transgenderists say, this mistaken view of anthropology is my identity. And our position is not that there isn't such a thing as the idea of transgenderism. Our position is that is not your identity because that's a false anthropology. So even the argument that this lady is making, that Dylan Mulvaney is agreeing with, that I am calling to eradicate people. Even that lies at the heart of this disagreement over transgenderism. Saying, I am transgender. And what the normal people are saying is, no, you're not. You're just mistaken. Okay, go on. I think, you know, I, this is going to sound weird, but bear with me. Okay, Um, I'm with you. I have, I have found pain in, in receiving this. And I've also found empowerment and the reason that the second one is happening, I think pain's obvious, right? But the the empowerment comes where they're saying we shouldn't exist. They're saying that we need to be eradicated. They're saying that but we can't there? do everything. Nobody is saying you shouldn't exist. This is a total lie from the transgenderists. Everybody is, what we are saying is you do not exist as you think you exist. You do exist. You should continue to exist. But you do not exist in the way that you think you are a lady and you can chop yourself up and you can pump yourself full of poison and you can sterilize yourself and you can do whatever, but you will remain you. We're saying the transgender transition isn't real, that when you 
engage in the transition, which is a form of ritual suicide, which results in you ritually killing off your old self and referring to your old self as a dead name, as a different person. We're saying that is not really efficacious. That doesn't really happen. You're still the same person post-op that you were pre-op. Forget about the operations. You're the same person post-new identity that you were pre-new identity. And to say, well, they, they don't want us to exist. It is, it is a lie to shut down the debate over this because they know that there's no argument, which is why one of the most distinguished scholars in the country who would identify as transgender and who's got all sorts of fancy degrees and publications on this, at the last minute backed out of a debate with me at the University of Pittsburgh, Professor Donald McCloskey. And he did that because there is no argument for it. X, Y, and Z. And yet here we are. Right? And here we are also connecting with each other. Mm-hmm. Here we are finding love with each other. I, I, There's nothing more powerful to me than that. Well, and what you see on the other side of things is they're all very united mm. and they stick by each other. They know each other. Mm. And we have to be equally mm. as on the same page because mm. if we go quiet when certain things go amiss mm. or, you know, I think that becomes a problem because they see that is our weakness, that mm-hmm. we are not mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. in something. Now, it's interesting that Dylan would say this because the point of my CPAC speech was to unite conservatives on this issue. I feel conservatives ha- had been quite divided on it, where some said, oh, we should just accept transgenderism, and we should call Caitlyn Jenner she and Caitlyn and everything. And other conservatives said, no, this is totally bogus. And some people said, well, it's fine for adults, but not for kids. And so I feel like conservatives were quite divided. The point of my speech was to say, no, no, no we all need to agree. There's no middle ground on this particular issue. We have to, we have to be united here. Whereas the left, very quickly, has united on this issue. That's why you see all the big corporations embracing it, all the big tech platforms, all the political institutions. They've all come together in the span of like five years and have said, okay, our understanding of human nature that we always had for all of history, that's gone. We are now all on board with dudes can become chicks. But then Dylan goes on and makes a point about anger. The emotion of anger was something that I've always been really scared to tap into Mm -hmm. and something that I thought was I saw it as a very bad thing, mm. um, but we have every right to be angry right mm. now. We we to we have to. I think I go between either wanting dis, to disassociate and like hide under the covers, mm. or to like really feel things. And as much as it um, it's a lot of effort and scary and mm. a lot of energy, I've started to feel anger in ways that I hadn't before, in ways that make me want to to make progress. When you feel growing anger, and more importantly, when you feel that that anger, that wrath is a good thing, you're almost certainly on the wrong side of an issue. It's not that anger is intrinsically evil. Sometimes anger, just like the feeling of pain when you put your hand on a stove, sometimes anger can be a good indication that something has gone wrong. But when you act, you should not be acting out of anger. When your child does something naughty, you, you might be angry, but you shouldn't punish that child while you're feeling angry. You should not punish that child out of your raw emotion and exercise of will. You should punish that child out of the use of reason. And, and the uh, expression of anger can very often cloud your reasoning. This is why the the transgenderists have embraced anger, because transgenderism is a denial of reason. 
the thing that we all know is true, which is that men can't really be women. This is why you're seeing the trans day of vengeance. This is why you're increasingly seeing transgender involved and transgender motivated violence against lots of people. This is why the pro-trans activists set off explosives and set people on fire in effigy at perfectly dry academic debates over an, an idea. That's a bad sign. It, it, you look at Dylan Mulvaney in this light where he's not totally perfectly made up with his control over the cameras and his TikTok where he's on someone else's show. And it's quite clear he's a man. It's less clear in some of the really highly produced videos, but in this podcast, it's quite clear the guy is a man and he knows he's a man and everyone knows that he's a man. The statement of that should not be a cause to anger. If he finds himself, if any of you find yourselves getting angry and angry and angry, that's a good indication you're on the wrong track. Okay. Speaking of, this is a big day of people attacking me. I walk into the studio today and Ben Davies says he's got some new guy attacking me and I have to respond to it, which I try not to, okay? I, I try to be perfectly gentlemanly. I let this roll off my shoulders, but Ben Davies does not. So the rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. We will now be looking at a an attack on yours truly from... Mr. Hunter Avalone, who is an American YouTuber. So head on over there. We'll see you at the Membroom Segmentum.